0: Hello, and welcome to another edition of KUAR's Week in Review podcast. On the program for the week ending Friday, May 19th, 2017. As questions about possible collusion between
1: the Donald J. Trump White House and the Russian government swelled to a fevered pitch in Washington, we'll talk about Arkansas's congressional reaction to the firing of FBI Director James Comey and the appointment of a
0: special prosecutor. A look toward the 2018 general election. Governor Asa Hutchinson and other incumbents are in a strong position. What are the big issues and who will emerge as potential challengers? And we'll look at the economic impact of spring flooding on Arkansas farmland. It's The Week in Review. I'm Chris Hickey. And I'm Jacob Kaufman. Well, this week has been packed with news coming out of Washington, D.C. and the Trump White House. On Monday, the Washington Post reported that Donald Trump had revealed some classified information to the Russian foreign minister in his meeting last week. And this comes after Trump fired FBI director, former FBI director James Comey, who was investigating possible collusion between. Trump administration officials and the campaign and the Russian government uh, in the 2016 election. And out of that, we had an appointment of a special prosecutor in that investigation. Former FBI director Robert Mueller was appointed by the deputy director of the Department of Justice In Washington, we have, of course, six uh, members of our congressional delegation there, uh, two senators and four congressmen. One congressman and one senator are both on um, the House and Senate Select Intelligence Committees, which are investigating the possible collusion between the Russian government and the Trump campaign in influencing the election. Jacob, let's talk about what this congressional delegation of ours has been saying in response to all these revelations that have come out. And it's really, you know, it's almost every day there's something new or, or some uh, kind of update or breaking news. You talked, for instance, with 2nd District Congressman French Hill, who represents the central Arkansas region. Uh, what did you get from that conversation?
1: Yeah, I would say,
0: you know, with French Hill and
1: generally with the rest of the delegation, you know, especially compared to the Obama years, they are not vocal at all about any of this. There's never an unsolicited comment about what's going on with the president and Russia and the Trump administration. It always has to be a, a question, it seems, from a reporter. I remember when Obama was president, uh, this, the littlest thing would trigger press releases from all of them. And usually outrage, very strong language. You don't see that at all. It has to be asked pre- pretty much. French Hill told me, and you can check out the interview Type in Google KUAR French Hill, you'll find it. I got his eight minute intervie- interview on, on this issue, James Comey from last week, and the Affordable Care Act future. That, those votes. But, um, you know, he said that he understands that many of his constituents are concerned. I asked him if they should be concerned, and he seemed to say, uh, you know, uh, he's not particularly concerned, at least. And part of that is he says that the Existing Intelligence Committee investigations and the existing FBI investigation. He thinks they're both not going to be influenced by politics right now. Of course, the ones in Congress are composed <laughs> politicians. Yeah. But, uh, you know, he's confident that it will go forward uninhibited as it is. Uh, this was before some of the revelations. And it was on Arkansas Week today, and someone brought up Leslie Rutledge, the attorney general. She's been someone who vocally defends the president. You know, she goes purposefully on national television to talk about how great he is and how he's not doing anything. But one One of the trouble with this is, whenever you're talking about Donald Trump or asking, do you buy this reason? Do you think there's a connection? Is there any suspicion or not? It always ends up with, well, he had a different explanation the day before, or he might have a different explanation three days from now. So it's kind of hard sometimes. I I think, even if our congressman wanted to more vigorously defend him, you're almost in a trap sometimes when you try to defend the president because he changes his explanation and justification. At first, he fired James Comey because the Clinton emails. Then it was because his attorney general recommended it. Then his attorney general, the deputy AG, uh, said, well, I only wrote that letter because he said that he wanted to fire him beforehand anyway. So, you know, there's, there's
0: just so much. Right. And, you know, you mentioned kind of the relative silence of the congressional delegation compared to the outspoken mm-hmm. uh, criticism of the Obama years. And, you know, for instance, Senator Tom Cotton, who sits on the U.S. Select Committee right. on Intelligence, which is investigating, you know, his staff and his communications department sends out statements regularly on on different uh, matters of, things, of yeah. uh, news, breaking news or or you know, all sorts of things. Yeah, like you said, but relative silence on this. And in fact, when the acting FBI director made his first testimony Mm -hmm. before that committee, Andrew McCabe is his name, who took over immediately after uh, Comey was fired, this was the day after Comey was fired, or maybe a couple days, you know, it came time for Senator Cotton to ask some questions of McCabe and others Mm. on that panel. And Cotton didn't have any questions or comments to give on uh, the Russian investigation or Donald Trump's actions or the uh, firing of Comey. So, uh, yeah, kind was of interesting.
1: I going to say, like, you know, we, we, of course, don't know what the president did or didn't do or what the memo says or, do, you know, we don't know so many things about it. But what we do know is that at this point, Arkansas's congressional delegation seems to have little public interest in finding this out. It seems the main thing they are focused on are this Russia stuff is a distraction from the important legislative agenda that we have. And that's certainly true that it is kind of all-consuming. And the Trump agenda is, and the House Republicans' agenda is certainly not advancing the way that they said it was after Trump's inauguration. I can remember interviewing French Hill and a few other congressmen and their predictions for the first 100 days. And I can't imagine that this is the 100 days they wanted. You mentioned Tom Cotton, his big defense of Trump during the election, because he wasn't – he was obviously not a super fan of Donald Trump. Uh, He said, you know, the good thing about the Trump White House is Congress is going to be able to enact their agenda. You know, Donald Trump is certainly standing in the way of majority Republicans, it seems like, doing this in, in some in some degree. So the current delegation, some of them are saying the special prosecutor is okay. They are okay with the existing investigations. They don't think there's anything to them, but let's, let's go ahead and let them play out and find out. You have other people like John McCain, who was once the standard bearer of the Republican Party, saying this is Watergate-like territory. I saw somebody say that John Bozeman's comment was strong the other day because he, he was okay with the special prosecutor. But, you know, it's pales in comparison to national Republicans.
0: Let's hear from uh, John Bozeman. This, I pulled a cut here from an interview that he did with KASU, our partners up in Jonesboro. Jonathan Reeves did this. Here he is on the phone kind of commenting on the investigation or what he hopes to see out of the investigation of possible collusion between the Trump officials and the Russian government.
2: Well, it is a you know certainly all the the influence in the election by the Russians is a very very serious problem and something we simply need to get to the bottom of to understand what happened. But but also is important to make sure that nothing like this happens in the future. Uh, my understanding is is that so far I don't think anybody has any evidence that President Trump was directly you know involved in that now the investigations are going forward again with the fbi uh, who i think you know we all realize are, are you know certainly very neutral just trying to get to the truth and then uh the uh with the intelligence uh, committee so um it, it, at some point in the not too distant future, hopefully we'll get some resolution and, and and then really understand you know what we need to do. A
1: little bit of change of tone, you know, because these allegations with the Russia stuff goes back to the campaign with his first campaign manager, Paul Manafort, who's want who has charges out against him in the Ukraine for doing the same thing for the Russian government. But it'll be interesting to see as we find out more stuff or don't find out how the delegation sort of changes their responses to this in some way, adjusting to the new news that comes out. Certainly, there are big uh, supporters of Donald Trump before the election.
0: And speaking of elections, we're kind of already gearing up for the next general election in which members of Congress and our governor will be running. In 2018, do you think this will be a major election issue coming up? Yeah. I mean, who knows? I mean, because everything changes so fast
1: day to day, but I've got to think, yes, you know, it's huge campaign fodder. That and the Affordable Care Act stuff seems to be a pretty big deal because it's a reality now. If you repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act, it's not just some abstract concept of not liking Obamacare. There's real results that hundreds of thousands of Arkansans would feel right away. I think it'll be a big issue. Either way, though, there's no U.S. Senate races up in 2018, but all four Republican incumbents are sitting really comfortably in districts that generally favor them. I feel like they're going to like have a pretty easy time no matter what, but I think that this kind of scandal and other stuff makes a little bit of difference. The Democratic base is so motivated and angry about this stuff that it'll be interesting to me to see if Democrats can even put people on the playing field for the first time since last election when they only fielded one out of four congressional candidates and it was a pretty weak candidate, financially at least. So if Democrats can't even feel the candidate out of all the hay that's being made with the Trump stuff and can't make
0: any inroads, that's, really, I think, real bad for them. And you know, speaking of just this issue, and I think health care is another major issue, as we've seen in... And- various town hall meetings that have been held with members of Congress this year. You know, you've attended one with French Hill and Tom Cotton. There's one with Tom Cotton up in Springdale. He's not up for re-election next year, but Steve Womack is, and he's already had two people who announced that they will be challengers, one, a Democrat who he interviewed, and another, a uh, Republican who announced this week he'll be challenging uh, Steve Womack up in Northwest Arkansas in the primary. That's uh, Rob Ryers, I believe. He's a non-denominational
1: pastor along with his wife. He's a Republican, obviously, but oh, I saw in an AP report that he has support from varied sources, such as Bernie Sanders campaign staffers. Hmm. So it, I don't think it's really a challenge from Womack's right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but you know, Steve Womack seems like its he'll be going for his fifth term. I've never heard about him getting in trouble with anything ever. Um, he's like pretty straight laced business conservative type guy. And And he's interesting because he's had several public town hall meetings where opponents have talked to him. And he has a very straightforward style Well, they'll say something to him and he'll give him an answer that he knows they don't like. And he'll say, well, that's my belief that I have. And most of my constituents support it. (laughs) Where we have other people, you know, like uh, Senator Bozeman has not held a town hall meeting. Bruce Westerman has not held a town hall meeting. Bruce Westerman even turned critics who had signs away from a meeting he had in Hot Springs Village. French Hill did not have one before the first health care vote. He had one later with Senator Tom Cotton by his side. But Second District is, of course, the place where Democrats always have the biggest chance, Pulaski County and Little Rock and stuff like that. And uh, there are no announced candidates to French Hill yet. But I've heard rumors that there's <laughs> that there's two. I've spoken with one of them who will do an interview sometime soon at KUAR on the day he announces, I believe, in the next couple of weeks. The difference is that these guys going to have candidates probably, at least in some of the districts, unlike last time just libertarians, that are going to put up real arguments and try to have real campaigns. I think they're going to have to address a lot of these things. And most of the constituents might like their answers based on their success. But let's hear from Joshua Mahoney, who's the Democrat, uh, you know, super long shot, probably in super Northwest Arkansas. He's from Fayetteville. He's the head of a scholarship fund for single parents. I know nothing about this particular scholarship fund. Joshua Mahoney, he's got a campaign ad out. He said he ran because of the Affordable Health Care Act vote, that that's what spurred him on. Here's kind of him talking about why he thinks health care is something that matters, why that's an issue that will actually work with Arkansans, despite their willingness to elect people that want to destroy Obamacare. And uh, of course, he has to appeal to those Trump voters if he wants to win.
3: Arkansas is a poor state. We we have a lot of people that are in need of help for health care coverage. And I don't think that you have to be a Democrat. To appreciate that almost a quarter million people, I've seen numbers from 220,000 up to above 300,000, will lose their Medicaid expansion coverage that was uh, a benefit of the ACA. I just don't think that's how we were raised in Arkansas.
1: Of course, uh, Congress is so dysfunctional that even though the majorities in both chambers want to repeal the ACA. They have not done so. There's not a bill that really has any traction that's passed either chamber so far that's expected to go to the other one. But th- those are the arguments. All
0: right. Well, that's the scene on the national side of Arkansas politics, but more on the state side, or at least on the state government side. Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson announced he was running for re-election, really no surprise in any way. As good a week as any. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although he was out of town, strangely enough, when he oh, announced okay. at the, some. I think, the Republican Governors Association meeting. Anywho, you know, I think he enjoys relatively strong popularity among Arkansans, generally speaking, although in the last month or so, I think, you know, may have gotten some bad publicity, shall we say, from uh, scheduling eight executions over 11 day period. There is also some issue with the state government in terms of its budget and revenue coming in uh, below projections for several months out of the fiscal year. And what to do with tax cuts that have been passed, a part of his big agenda. I think those will all be big issues. But let's hear, before we discuss further, let's play a little bit of what Hutchinson told KUAR's Michael Hiblin, our news director, what he thinks the biggest challenges are going forward.
2: We have to uh, run our state conservatively. Uh, we want to make sure we have a balanced budget and so as the budget gets tight we can strain government spending. We're doing that. but We're meeting uh, the, the obligations that we have in terms of education. Uh, we're investing in that in our health care system. Uh, so uh, the state is in good shape and that's important that people are working, they want to work, we're creating jobs. It's exciting for me to be able to lead it but there's always more work to be done, reforming state government, uh, making sure that we're not uh, overspending and that we're reducing it and being uh, more efficient in our operations. And so that's a day-by-day challenge that we face, and I'm happy to uh, lead that effort. There's just more to do.
1: The governor, um, he certainly accomplished most, if not all, of his major campaign promises from the when he defeated Mike Ross and Frank Gilbert, Libertarian, the biggest one being a $100 million income tax cut. And this last session, he got another $50 million income tax cut. He's uh, realigned higher education, done computer coding. All of his like big hallmark things, he's gotten accomplished pretty easily. The big minefield for any governor, especially Republican governor, was navigating all the Medicaid expansion stuff that the state Gets to do and it's all created by the Affordable Care Act. But has all sorts of state level options and stuff like that. He seems to have navigated that. I remember the first session, there was some speculation. Most, I guess, it's just Twitter, really. But that Tim Griffin and it you know, doesn't you don't really do much as lieutenant governor, and it's kind of a placeholder that he wants to run for governor one day. Some people thought if ASA bungled Medicaid expansion, that he might have a primary challenger of some merit, as opposed to Curtis Coleman, who got like twenty percent of the vote last time. But you know, he successfully na- navigated that not only through two sessions but a special session where he got further conservative changes to it. It seems like going to be easy for AC.
0: Yeah, and he's certainly benefited from having strong majorities in both chambers of the legislature to enact his agenda. Mm-hmm. Although there is occasional dissent among more conservative members of the legislature, especially along the lines of Medicaid, more recently, the changes being enacted would be to restrict the income eligibility for those receiving coverage through Arkansas right. Works those receiving coverage who make between 100 and 138% of the federal right. poverty level or up to $16,000 a year will be removed from the program they'll be asked to uh, find coverage through the exchanges if they still exist. (laughs) Yeah, precisely. And, you know, there's a lot of, obviously, a lot of uncertainty on health care. You're seeing a lot in town halls around the country with members of Congress that people don't want to see the Affordable Care Act removed or Mm -hmm. repealed and replaced or whatever with whatever proposals Republicans are floating in Congress. And it may be one of the bigger issues of the year. I'm not sure if removing the people from the Medicaid rolls will have a harmful political effect on Hutchinson's bid. I don't know how many people, that, that's what, approximately 60,000? Like 60, 60, yeah. How many of them
1: even vote, you know? All, yeah, yeah. Many of them are children. Who, yeah,
0: yeah it's, it's, it's unclear. But um, Michael Hiplin asked about Medicaid with Governor Hutchinson, and here's what he had to say.
2: Well, I think we've moved the right direction with our reform of Arkansas Works uh, emphasizing the uh, work requirements for the able-bodied and those without children, emphasizing that our state resources should be focused on those that need the help the most. This is the right reform for Arkansas and I'm hopeful and believe that the uh, whatever they do in Washington will complement what we're doing. I want to watch it very carefully and we'll make adjustments as we need to but I'm hopeful that what they do in Washington will will surround and support what we're trying to do here in providing help to people who have a challenge in affording their health care, the lower income, making sure they have access to health care. But at the same time, we've got to do something that our state can afford over the long term. And that's what we're watching very carefully and trying to control the numbers that are on the expanded Medicaid.
1: I think Asa Hutchinson's going to have like a slam dunk election. The congressional races this time will be more interesting, even if they're kind of safe, just because there'll be candidates who are trying to push like hot button issues that the whole nation is paying attention to. Democrats don't have anyone announced yet. It could be, I'm sure it could be a very great candidate, but Mike Ross was a pretty good candidate. Bill Clinton acolyte, Bill Clinton campaign for him. You know, he's a congressman for a number of years, so some parts of the state definitely knew him. He was active in Arkansas politics when Democrats were successful, you know, campaigned really hard, had a lot of money. Uh, Democrats thought it was a big year where they could maybe stem the tide or whatever. And I don't know that there's anyone like
0: him that will emerge. And of
1: course, Mike Ross did not really do that well either.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, it would be um, bad for the image of the Democratic Party if they didn't field a strong candidate to begin with.
1: Yeah, but it's good. I mean, the person who's going to run for it, I'm sure they think there's a chance they'll win. But, you know, how many high quality candidates want to
0: run an election against a really strong, popular governor? Well, anyways, we're still a year and a half away from the election. So um, we'll see. (laughs) We'll keep you updated on that. So one of the issues that Governor Asa Hutchinson has had to deal with or his administration has had to deal with in the last few weeks is this really devastating flooding to the northeast part of the state, Pocahontas area, areas along the Black River, the White River, uh, more towards central and east Arkansas, have really seen a lot of damage. And a lot of the damage also has been centered around crops and crop losses or the uh, potential for crop losses and uh, damage to farmland. And this week, we had an estimate out of the U of A Division of Agriculture and the Cooperative Extension Service. They estimated that there's upwards of $175 million worth of damage to crops and crop losses here in Arkansas in these last few weeks. Jacob, you spoke to an agronomist Mm -hmm. who's looked at this. What did you find out? First of all, I'd like to say that the University of Arkansas Department of Agriculture Cooperative
1: Extension Service got an extension on their name, I guess. That's way too long. (laughs) Okay, So $175 million in agriculture losses estimated so far among uh, Arkansas's, some of their signature crops like rice. It's our biggest uh, agricultural commodity. We produce just over half the nation's total rice output, so it's a lot of rice that is underwater right now and ruined, basically. One of the big issues with this for this economic loss is, so there's $175 million in damages. Fortunately for farmers, there is crop loss insurance programs that the U.S. government has helped prop up. Here's UA uh, agronomist Jared Hardkey. He studies rice. Basically, there's a June 9th deadline coming up, where if you don't replant your rice crop by June 9th, you cannot get your crop loss insurance. He says that June 9th deadline is not a very good one, though.
3: That final end of the late planting period of June 9th is really very late, where we're typically Mm -hmm. looking at a 30% decline below optimum yield potential compared to our our preferred planting window, really, in in early to mid-April.
1: So, I mean, the idea of crop loss insurance is you lost your crop, we'll give you your money to cover the cost of the crop. Not because we're nice and care about your finances. We don't just bail people out for failing in America so much, (laughs) unless you're a bank of some kind. But uh, you you will get this money so that you can grow it again. That's why you have to have it back in the ground. We're giving you the money to grow your crops again. That's for farmer's security. That's for food security. All sorts of reasons like that. And I suppose it's an entrenched benefit at this point, too. Um, But another problem with the June 9th deadline is The seeds are worse. There aren't a lot of good seeds left anymore.
3: The supply of rice seed is actually very much in question, and there may be enough rice seed around, but one of the added difficulties is not just is there rice seed available, but when you're reaching this late calendar date, your best cultivars to plant are typically by this time of the year, the best ones are no longer available. We're talking about moving down the list of options in terms of their expected performance when well, you already have growers who have taken a severe hit.
1: And part of the deal with this is the June 9th deadline is brand new for this year. There used to be a previous date based on some some other information, and the Hutchinson administration has petitioned the U.S. Department of Agriculture, their secretary, Sonny Perdue, who went on an aerial tour of this with Hutchinson, saying, you know, we need some flexibility in this. You know, maybe they'll be able to replant some of their crops if the floodwaters receded, but it's not going to be good. Farmers could still lose money. He doesn't want them to. Jared Hartke was optimistic that this could lead to a catalyst of some sort nationally.
3: At this point in time, that is the law. Uh, I do know that they are aware of the situation and, and there will, I believe, be efforts made to Correct this uh, again on a commodity specific basis. Certainly, in the situation involving rice, I believe that something is going to happen. The question is will that be able to happen in time to help? right
1: now. And of course it's not the first time rice fields have been flooded. In previous years there's been flooding that has been comparable. This flooding was especially bad though. But this year uh, Hartke said fields were more planted now than they were before. I can't remember the specifics. What I'm trying to say is like 89% of the crop was planted before the flooding this year. Past years maybe it was 40% or something like that because they wanted to start their growing season earlier because it was better. But there was some risk.
0: All right. With that, this has been KUAR's Week in Review podcast. Thanks for listening. KUAR is a listener-supported service, but editorially independent from the University of Arkansas at Little Rock. Have a great weekend. My name is Chris Hickey. And you can subscribe to this podcast and anywhere our podcasts are found, and you can, uh, visit
1: it at KUAR.org. And while you're there, sign up for our weekly news email update with this podcast, including links to many of the stories we've talked about on today's episode. I'm Jacob Kaufman. Thanks. Bye.